Welcome back to the Conscious Contact Podcast. My name is Janae and I'm your host. And today I am talking to Pepper Siegel. She is so multifaceted, so it is hard for me to nail down a description of her. We go into that a little bit, a little bit of her story, and I'm lucky to call her a friend. So we start talking about authenticity and friendships, and I really got a lot out of this conversation, and I hope you will too. Hello, Pepper. Hello, Janae. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm so glad that you can join me as my first guest on the Conscious Contact podcast. This is so exciting. I'm honored. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> so you are someone that I've known for a relatively short period of time, like what, two years now? Yeah, I think so. It's so crazy. I know. It feels so much longer than that. I <sighs> clicked with you immediately. I'm trying to remember. I think I reached out to you on Instagram. Yeah, but I think before that, I think we met doing uh, Rabbi Libby's uh, when she was being interviewed to be rabbi. And oh, we yeah. went to all those little Zoom mixers. I'm, I'm pretty sure yes. that was the first time I had met you. Maybe I had seen you at like a Chevra Torah or something before. but Possibly. But I think that was like the first time we had like talked. Yeah. I saw what you were doing on Instagram and how just authentic you were to yourself and your energy and we'll get into that on this podcast. I was looking to try to bring better energy around me. Not that I had bad energy around me. I just wasn't really clicking with a lot of the people that I was hanging out with at the time. And I saw who you were as a human and like recognized your soul immediately. And I think I said something like, hey, uh, I don't know if this is weird or awkward or not. It probably is, but I think you're cool and let's hang out. Well, you know, I, I, it's very admirable uh, for you to do that because that is not something I would have done. And I thought you were cool too. And I just, I wouldn't have been able to reach out. I mean, I would have reached out, but you, you know, I just thought that was really cool how you did that. I, as an adult, I've never really had anyone reach out to me like that. I think more people should. I agree. And I, I've always wanted that to happen. And it never had. And I was sweating. I was literally oh. sweating the entire time. It's like you're asking me to prom. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. No, it really was. Like, I think it's really cool. I think we need more honesty like that because, uh, you know, there's just a lot of people you don't even know if you click with them unless you say something. So, yeah, I totally agree. And having you on this podcast is one, a fantastic excuse for me to be able to just have a conversation with you because I love you and this is a, a, a good way for me too. to be able to have some time with you and also you are amazing you are a mother you are an entrepreneur you are an outspoken Jewish advocate you you are all the things you have too many adjectives and that's just scratching the surface of who you are so if someone has never heard of the amazing Pepper Siegel, which I don't know how, but if they haven't, how would you describe yourself? Um, well, I probably wouldn't have used all those adjectives, maybe just mother, but uh, no. Um, I would say that I am a very, I have, I don't know, it's hard for, you know, it's hard for people to describe themselves and I try to stay humble with what I do um, and I try to stay true to myself. So I guess... You know, just to touch on what you were talking about, how you were following me on Instagram and how I was staying true to myself is absolutely it's absolutely true, um, because I feel like if you fake it, that's when you start to trip up. That's when you start to lose engagement. That's when, you know, so I, I always anyone who knows me <laughs> knows I have no filter. I am myself. Take me as I am. And if you can't. I'm not sorry, but I mean, you know, you just I'm black and white. I'm very black and white. I don't have much of a gray area. I would say that that, that would describe my personality. Uh, I'm a chef. I'm a, a damn good chef, actually. I will not be humble about that. Um, but everything Nor else should in- you be. I completely agree. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, which is weird that I'm baking now because baking and chefing is just uh, two different things. But uh, I'm becoming a pretty good baker, but uh, I'm not going to say I'm still being very humble about that because it's new to me, the world of baking. Um, But yes, a mother. I am a partner to a hot Guatemalan chef. And um, 
you know, a family person, friend. I, I just try to be my, I just try to be true to myself, like you were saying. So I'm glad that I come across that way. Um, but yeah, yeah you definitely I, do. I appreciate that. Yeah, I try. I mean, I don't try. I am authentic. It is what it is. So it's my yeah, favorite no. thing to say. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I think that that is why I was so drawn to you because I was really trying to find my own authenticity and being sober was a big turning point, not just in my life, obviously, but I had to reconsider everything about me. And that that might sound crazy. I don't know if you kind of went through a similar experience, but it it was like, what is my favorite color? <laughs> yeah, your self-inventory. It's really hard. It's it's a lot. I mean, when I when I started to go through my sobriety journey 14 years ago, um, yeah, I didn't even know who I was. You know, it was like being born again. And I mean, I'm still like that, you know, because I've had ups and downs and I don't know how to explain it. But yeah, I totally I totally get what you're saying. It's it's really hard. And I'm I'm forever evolving, too. So um I think that's the goal of life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just really, it's weird because like I'll listen to recordings or watch videos from even just like three years ago and I'm listening Mm -hmm. to myself talk and I'm like, wow, I really was just not even understanding what that person was saying or this or just the way I was talking, my, my, just the way I carried myself. I mean, it's just, it's forever, forever changing. And, um, it's hard to do that self inventory for sure. I'm still doing it. I'm still always doing it. Um, yeah. And no, I'm so, in the same place. I I feel you. I think that hopefully I get to do it for the rest of my life. I think that's part of what keeps me not only sober but living a genuine existence that mm-hmm. is you know fruitful, remaining teachable. Um, not thinking that I know it all because I know when I do that I'm going to close myself off to something that could benefit me. Uh, just from previous experience, that's not yeah. a good look. Uh, it also feeds my ego and my pride when I do that, and mm-hmm. that's not good for anybody. <laughs> no, it's not. And, you know, it's it's very admirable that, that you're completely sober and, and that's your journey. Uh, just to be clear, just because I want to be clear, I'm not completely sober. I do drink some alcohol every now and then, but um, I went through a huge point in my life where I needed to be sober for and it was a good three years I did absolutely nothing um completely revamped my life I mean I was probably going to die if I wouldn't have done that and somehow I found my way to be able to be responsible with uh drinking a little bit which I was never really my drug of choice anyway I don't know kind of getting off topic but I just want to be clear no Um, not off topic at all I think that that's a good distinction to make because I think that recovery is such a spectrum and it can mean anything to anyone. And I think that all of it is valid and it's very specific to that person. It's what they need in that moment in time and kind of what we were talking about. It's going to change. Uh, and hopefully it does change. Hopefully, you know, your your level of recovery goes through growths and valleys so that you can learn from both of those. Because the highs are great, but the lows taught me so much more, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, well, we only grow from anguish. That's my philosophy, mm. right? Um, we, yeah. we learn from failure. We grow from anguish. Uh, practice makes progress. I can speak in idioms all day, but we won't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, well, we my, could. I mean, we could. I mean, it might be fun I mean, just to see how many. <laughs> I, you know, it's really, it's, it's interesting because my husband, like I said, is from Guatemala. So English is not his first language. And he'll ask me about these crazy idioms. And I never really realized how psycho it is the way us English people talk. Like the, the other day, this isn't really like a, an, an idiom, but it's just more like a saying. Like it's a spark between people, right? Like uh-huh. so, like I like when we met, you're talking about how we have this spark. Yeah, we're watching. So this is this is our guilty pleasure. We watch all the 90 Day Fiance franchise, like all of them. Pillow talk, <laughs> all of them. That's just it's something my husband and I do. It's like our alone time, mindless TV. And it was one of the people, and they were like, well, I just didn't feel like I had that spark. And he looked at me, he's like, what the hell's a spark? And I just never really thought about (laughs) how weird that is, that we're calling it, like, a spark. But it kind of makes sense. And then I had to explain, like, a car battery and then how we're putting it in there and it, like, connects and there's, like, a spark. You know? Yeah. But you don't don't really get into that. The metaphor of it all. Yeah, the metaphor. It's just, it's so, it's, it's, it's interesting 
because the English language is so hard. And I didn't really realize that until I started learning Spanish. But yeah, it was just really interesting to have to explain that because then I had to really think about what it meant too. But um, yeah. No, I, I think that I speak English and that's my first and only language. Although I did take French in high school, but that it's did not plant any seed in my brain. There is 0% left of that. Parlez-vous français? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know. Give me a translator. But even for me, some of the idioms that are supposed to spark thought or remind you of a principle, even for me, sometimes it's really hard to wrap my head around. So <laughs> I I feel his pain and his struggle. And kind of like you were talking about, I social cues are not my forte. So when people use a metaphor or an idiom that I've never heard before, I just laugh and smile and go along with it. And then it takes me like a month and a half to figure out what they were talking about. You know, I've uh, I've Googled some things sometimes because I don't oh, yeah. even have I don't even have the answers. <laughs> I don't even know where some of these sayings, metaphors and idiot like I don't even know where they come from, sometimes, especially here in the South. Oh, my gosh. Which is like a whole other language. Ooh. When you go to some towns, you're just like, what did you just say? I really, the idea of authenticity is kind of stuck in my brain ever since I knew we were going to be talking today. And I was watching a YouTuber that I follow and the video was completely unrelated to this. It's like a new product review or something, but she is so cool and effortless and I aspire to be like her. So I always watch her stuff uh, for for more than that because she always you know, like we do, goes on a tangent, talks about some deep life things. And she was talking about authenticity and relationships and kind of more specifically her issue with continually making herself less when she was younger. Uh, she's got a big personality and I love it. I think it's fantastic, especially as an introvert. I'm drawn to people that have bigger personalities. I have a big mental personality, but it doesn't yeah. normally come out of my mouth. So I love to be matched up with someone, especially like you, who's extroverted and I can feed off that energy in a way that is fulfilling for me instead of draining. Right. But she was talking about like relationships in her youth and how she was terrified of being called annoying so she would make herself less so that she was palatable for everyone she was more normal whatever that means and I resonated with that so much and when I knew I was going to talk to you I thought this is the perfect thing for us to go down a rabbit hole on yeah um well and also uh how old was she when she started making herself more palatable I I, I'm interested to know. Do you know, like, if she was an adult th- or a child, or, or is I think she was in her teens. Okay. I think that's what she was talking about. Well, she figured it out a lot earlier than me, because <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I I, I completely understand uh, what that's like. Um, I think a lot of it does uh, come from childhood, and uh, like we were speaking about before, just um, it, it's uh, you know, you don't want to say something. Well, I guess it's it's more like you have to be mindful with your words, right? So mm-hmm. I'm you don't know what people are gonna say to you that's gonna stick with you for the rest of your life, right? So mm-hmm. there's there's stuff that people have said to me twenty years ago that they probably didn't even know they said to me, and it's something that I will always remember um for the rest of my life, which makes me kind of scared because up until I was like, 22 I don't even know what I've said to people (laughs) so I'm just like oh man like you know like like whose head am I in (laughs) right like what am I right there with you yeah um but yeah you have these things you have these snapshots of when you're younger um you know especially during my journey of um when I was first you know basically when I quit doing drugs right um I had that whole rediscovery of personality and I wasn't palatable then though. I mean, I, I just was not same. I, I, I went through basically three years of life. Just not even like I lost three years of my life is how I look Mm -hmm. at it. Um, I don't remember a lot of things, which is probably great, but also at the same time, it's scary. Um, so when I came out of that, not only was I a 21 to 22, because this is like around that time, adult, you know, you're basically an adult. I mean, you're still a kid in my eyes, but you're this adult that's been living the last three years of your life just in and out, you know, of consciousness pretty much. And you don't know how to be 
because everyone around you is like, hey, I just graduated college with like Madam Cum Laude and like, you know, I, I literally had a choice. It's like either go to rehab or go to Israel. And I chose Israel. And the first three months was really hard because it was, you know, I didn't have any you know, substances to abuse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I was around all these people who were like, um, just graduated from college and they're taking a year off before they get a job. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just withdrawing from drugs. Like, <laughs> it's fine. Like, everything's fine, you know? <laughs> um, so- no, I totally feel you. I, I'm right there with you. And it, I was 27 when I got sober. So it was even, even more of the like, oh, everyone has their life together and I do not. <laughs> I have nothing yeah. to show for the past however long I've been alive. Trying to figure out life from that point <laughs> is bewildering because I stopped maturing at like 13. So I'm waking up at 27 <laughs> not knowing what's going on. Right. No, and it's true because your 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 mind and your body are growing, but you're not nourishing it. So everyone is at this level and you just feel not up to par. You don't Mm. you don't you don't feel like you can hang with people. I mean, you know, after I I moved back from Israel, the guy I had met there, we we moved to D.C. and he was a a, well, he still is a successful journalist that works at the State Department. But we had just moved there. So he was just getting started and I was going to culinary school and all of his friends because, you know, he's in politics. So. We're going to all these, um, you know, fundraisers and dinners and all this stuff, these black tie events. You know, if it was nowadays, it probably would have been way different because, like, no one really dresses up like they did 14 years ago. And uh, but these were like parties I had to go like buy dresses for. And I don't wear dresses. Anyone who knows me that like really knows me, I don't do them. I love them. I admire people who can pull them off. I just don't feel comfortable in them. So not knocking anyone who loves a good dress. But I felt completely out of place at all of these things. Every time we went, it was really because I wasn't developed. I really wasn't. My vocabulary wasn't even up to par with theirs. I mean, there was just certain words, certain things, uh, gestures, and like you, I'm so-so on the um, the um, social cues. I think I pick up on some too much and then others not mm. enough. It was very hard to gauge around those people that are working in politics because they just have a way about themselves because, you know, they're politicians <laughs> so <laughs> and lawyers and things like that. So it's like, you know, it was very hard to fit in. It was um, it was eye opening. But at the same time, I've grown immensely from it. I mean, look, I just said the word immensely 14 years ago. <laughs> I wouldn't have said that word. So, I mean, there's hope. Yeah. And and in those spaces, I think that's really interesting. And I went through a similar situation where the only friends that I really had left were the friends of my partner. And while they were amazing, they weren't my friends. I know that sounds really selfish. No, but it, it doesn't. It was very separate. And they were interested in different things. And although I had known them for a long time prior to getting sober, they didn't really know me. And I didn't I wasn't able to really show up and know them because of my drinking. So it was it was really awkward. And I, I'd love to hear from you. I definitely felt myself putting myself or not putting myself on mute, but turning down the volume oh, of my yeah, personality. Absolutely. And and like anyone who knows me knows that I am not that person now. I don't I don't turn down the volume. I mean, unless we're like in shul or something. But <laughs> I mean, even so, I'm singing pretty loud. But uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it's true. I was uncomfortable. And like I said, how I how I'm not comfortable in dresses. Right. Fourteen years ago, I couldn't say, hey, I don't want to wear this dress to this party because it's something that I felt that I had to do to fit in. And now I'm at a point in my life where I, I think that kids kind of change that. Well, you know, I had cancer. I almost died. There's a lot of things that have happened in my life. <laughs> That is why I am the way I am. But during that time, I didn't have any of those elements that have made me who I am today. And uh, I wasn't confident enough to say, hey, I want to wear a pantsuit. I don't I don't want to wear this like form fitting dress, you know. Um, And it was really hard because, yeah, I had to turn down the volume and make myself, like you said, more palatable. Or at least I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And honestly, uh, looking back, I was just being weird. 
I mean, <laughs> there was just times where I was so uncomfortable that I didn't even really say anything. And that is just not my MO. You know, I mean, I think it was just because I went, not obviously, but I have some childhood trauma and things like that. And and that's kind of what led me to my drug use was self-medication. Mm-hmm. Um, I have extreme ADHD and then anxiety that tags along with that. And I think also growing up, you know, ADHD was just so poorly explained to us, which isn't anyone's fault. You know, that's why they call it practicing medicine, not perfecting medicine, because it's Mm -hmm. always evolving. But it wasn't explained like it is today. And there's stuff that I'm learning out about my brain that I thought everyone did and they don't because they're not ADHD. Uh And I think that the stigma around taking the medication for ADHD also was one of the things that I had stopped taking because of the stigma. And that probably contributed to like a lot of my drug use because I couldn't sort my thoughts. I couldn't, you know, fit in into what I thought was like a, a, like a normal, like, you know, Mm -hmm. what is normal? Like, we don't even know. This is, you know, and this is, like I said, 14, 15 years, well, really 17 or 18 years ago, because that's when I was going through it. But it was just, it, it's very, very difficult to um, be in a world that's not made for you. Mm-hmm. Um, ADHD can be a superpower. It, it's it's wonderful. I, I, I love being ADHD sometimes, but then there's a, most of the time I really, it's not that I don't like it. It's just that I wish things were constructed a little differently in our society to, you know, make it more manageable. And and in some cities and things like that, there are. There are places yeah. like that, but they're few and far between. And it still gets brushed off a lot. Like everyone has ADHD or I'm having an ADHD moment. Like you don't hear people mm-hmm. saying that about autism. They're not like, oh, exactly. I just had an autistic moment or or I just had a diabetic moment. You know, like, no, like, yeah. well, I guess some people do say, oh, I can't eat that. I'll go into diabetic shock and like not have diabetes. And like diabetes isn't funny, but like I've said it yeah. before. Same so thing with like anxiety and depression, too. I think that that gets used a lot and it's not something that offends me because I understand where those people are coming from. And yeah, of course, like, very little offends me at this point. Oh, yeah. But it's not helpful for the stigma of any type of mental health or n- neuro issue. It's right. it doesn't do anything to further the cause of understanding if you're using it on a day to day basis with things that aren't necessarily ADHD or anxiety or depression or, you know, right. schizophrenia. Well, it, exactly. Well, because ADHD isn't just, oh, I can't concentrate. Like, that's not, you know, yeah. I mean, everyone can't concentrate sometimes. It is exactly. what it is. But there's just so much more. I mean, my brain doesn't produce the proper amount of dopamine. You know, my wires get crossed. It's a, it's a, it's a real thing. It's a neurological disorder. And, um, I don't know how we got on this topic, but it should be treated as as such. And um, no, ha- yeah, I totally oh, agree. Oh well, to full like to full circle this, um, because of the stigma around ADHD and things like that, I think it contributed to me trying to be more palatable and to fit into mm-hmm. the society because I didn't know that my brain were was doing all these things to make me feel some kind of way. Because yeah. when I was going through that really important brain growth time I was drowning myself with drugs so I had yeah. to completely rewire my brain I mean for the first I want to say the first five years after not doing drugs it, it that was that was my growth period that I probably should have had five years prior to that I um, feel that so much and I went through a very some I'm still going through it obviously <laughs> oh I would listen I'm still going through it too we're you know <laughs> That's a theme here. We're yeah. we're still going through it forever. But we're never gonna my, go through it always. Exactly. <laughs> but with my anxiety, it I, I dealt with that through drinking for so long. When I stopped, I had no idea how to navigate life or relationships or conversations or <laughs> or yeah. driving. I mean anything um without having something that was my medication for all intents and purposes for a really long time. And I tried to hide it so much. And that's where a lot of my issues with struggling to be authentic came from because it was hard for me to be vulnerable. And to have anxiety for me personally, I need to be able to say, hey, I'm anxious or talk about it openly 
because if not, I'm just going to keep hiding it. And that's going to manifest in a lot of really odd reactions. <laughs> right. Well, and that's something that as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at as well, which is telling people how I'm feeling. You know, yeah. um, even I'd say six years ago, there would be a time where I may have been having a panic attack or just about going to the place that I was supposed to be. Not even mm-hmm. just about anything, you know. And just lying to the person of why I didn't want to go because I didn't want to be honest that, hey, I'm having a lot of anxiety. Let me give you a call in an hour. I might change my mind. You know, now as I get older, I realize a lot of my anxiety leaving the house is just once I get in the car, like I'll start to feel a little better. You know, you you grow with these things. But also another thing is 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 when you are coming out of of this person that you thought you were. You don't know what anxiety is. You don't know what your ADHD is. Like you, you don't know your feelings. Yep. You don't really know that that's what you're feeling because yeah. you didn't full on feel it before. Yeah. You knew you knew you had these problems because people had told you, doctors, schools, all these things. Well, at least for me, I didn't really understand it. I still don't fully understand it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm yeah. always constantly learning. Like I said, the practicing medicine thing. So there's new things every day. But I really didn't understand it. And then when I, you know, went through that three years of just like completely drowning myself, I really didn't understand it. And so when I came out of it, it was hard to pinpoint what's my anxiety? What's my ADHD? What's my depression? What is this? You know, it's just like all these feelings and yeah. you, you don't, you don't know how to navigate them. Um, feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feelings. But well, it's kind of, you know, and now that I have, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Who is adorable. They are both <laughs> the cutest kids I've ever seen in my life. Continue. They look, they look just like my husband. That's why. But <laughs> um, no, but it's interesting because kids have all these feelings and they don't know what to do with them. Literally, they just have overwhelming feelings at any moment, at any time. Anything can trigger them. And it's our job as parents to kind of navigate them through the feelings. And it's like, well, how can you navigate your kid through feelings what when you job. can't even navigate your own half the time, right? Yeah. Um, and then you start to realize how much of a five-year-old you are, you know? <laughs> it's like he'll have an argument with his brother, and then I'll go and have, like, an argument with my husband. I'm like, we sound just like Jackson and Charlie right now. <laughs> like, we're literally five and three. What is happening? You you just you get this whole perspective of how the, the brain really does develop. You're looking at it. You're watching this child grow and every day is different. And then you have to go look in the mirror and be like, how can I be better to be this better example for this tiny human so that he can oh navigate? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's a, it, you know, it's it's challenging. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Am I better than I was yesterday? Absolutely. But um, it's it's but the, why it- the medal. You deserve a medal for that. And because seriously, I don't have children, so I'm never gonna get it. And hats off to you because that seems so all encompassing. And I think that you just described it perfectly. It, you feel responsible not only for them and to be there to help them, but to also grow for yourself so that you can show up and help them. And as the two of us coming from a, a past of childhood trauma, breaking that trauma cycle for the people so that are going to be in our lives. Like I, it is such a, a gift to be able to give and to be able to see you do that for your children is so awesome. Just want to tell you that because I'm Thank sure you. that doesn't get to be seen a whole lot, but it's a, it's a big deal. And it's something that gets left out of recovery sometimes, you know, we're just cause we are, in recovery doesn't mean that we're going to stop acting out of those same coping mechanisms. And we're going to still, you know, cause we can potentially, if if I'm not on my stuff and I'm not actively working for my recovery in all areas, so like emotional sobriety as well as substance sobriety, I'm going to keep treating people as if I were still drinking. And, yeah. and growing in that way has been definitely more fruitful and a lot I don't want to say easier because that's not the the right thing to say. Maybe like Um, smoother. You feel more confident almost. Yes. Than the actual substances. That was hard. Um, That was a a whole thing. And that's a whole nother podcast, I think, that we could (laughs) dive into for sure. I think this is a perfect spot to pause and talk about today's sponsor, Renew Planner. 
When I was looking for a paper planner to not only help me plan my life, but to remind me to do the things I know are important in my recovery program, I couldn't find anything. I Googled everything I knew possible. I tried out a whole lot of different planners that were geared for other people. I decided why not try to make one? I knew that if I was looking for it, someone else is probably looking for it too. So I created Renew Planner. It has sections to not only plan your adult life activities, but it's also got reminders for meditation and mindfulness, setting up your own daily routine, your ideal day, journaling, and much more. So if you or someone you know is on a recovery journey or just wants a place to be more organized mentally, head on over to renewplanner.com, R-E-N-E-W planner, Dot com and use the code CC10 for $10 off your first order. Emotional sobriety and kind of like what you touched on earlier, you're, you like live in my head. I was thinking the same thing when you were talking about how you used to, you know, just say something to make up an excuse to not want to go somewhere instead of, you know, speaking your truth. That has been so big for me. I mean, even Mm -hmm. recently, again, growing all the time, but like especially recently in the new friendships that I'm developing, being able to say not just, oh, I forgot I have this thing, which is always a lie and, you know, or making up something silly, which doesn't make me feel good. And then I have a shame and regret spiral. Exactly. It just just causes more anxiety. Like. Exactly. And when I could just say if I'm surrounding myself with the kind of friends that I want to have and the kind of friend that I want to be to someone else, I would want them to say, hey, I'm having a really anxious day today. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. Let me talk to you closer to the time or can we reschedule? Right. And And that's kind of that's kind of how I navigate through friendships as um an adult, you know, if I can't speak to you truthfully, we can be acquaintances. I'm not going to be mean to you, yeah. but I'm not going to give you my energy or my time because if yes. I feel like I can't be authentic with you, I I literally have zero energy to try to be someone else. Yeah. So, like I said, take me as I am. And if not, I'm not sorry, but we can still be nice, you know. Um but yeah, if I don't feel like I can say, hey, um, let's reschedule for another day because I'm just not feeling it today, uh, yeah. you're not, you're, we can't really be friends. You know, we can't, we can't, on that deep, you know, when I think of friends, we, we call people friends a lot. I feel like the word gets thrown ar- around all the time. Yeah. I do it too. I mean, I'm just like, yeah, a friend uh, up in New York that I, Maybe I've met like twice, you know, (laughs) well, because what are you going to say? Oh, this person. And then like give a whole backstory. It's too much. And I do that enough already with the tangents. So, (laughs) you know, uh, but like actual friend, you know, uh, I have wasted so much time and energy, just like the YouTuber you were talking about in my past, trying to be almost like buying insurance on a relationship. Yes. So it's like just doing things for people that they didn't necessarily ask for. I mean, I still do that sometimes, but um, I, I'm just more pickier in, in who I give that to. You know, I'm still at, at the core. I'm still going to be this. I consider myself generous and kind. And, you know, obviously we can all be rude and unkind at some some points uh, in our in our life. But at the same time, I, that'll never go away. I will always want to do things for people because that's just kind of my personality. But people have used me for that and could sense that in me and um there's been times where I would do things and do things because I just really like this person and just really wanted to be their friend and yeah um and I didn't really know how to navigate a healthy relationship I think you know um yeah that's a good (laughs) that is a good touch point because I feel the exact same way I I didn't have I had quote unquote friends, you know, that word again, I had people that I thought I was close with and they abused my trust and vulnerability or the other way around when I was drinking, I abused their trust and vulnerability. So none of those friendships were still in existence. Yeah. I I didn't know how to show up and be a real friend Mm -hmm. and I didn't know who was worth my energy and who wasn't. And I was constantly in that battle of me giving 150% and them not even giving me 50 well, and this circles back to the social cues, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and learning from our experiences. So, you know, since I've had so many 
failed friendships. Not so many. They they were just it, it was people that I was I considered myself close with. You know, yeah. I I um I learned from those experiences. I I learned. Yeah. Yeah. I would say there's probably like three. I say so many. I, I swear I'm not that messed up that I have that many. <laughs> but um you know, the ones that like hurt me, like made me feel some kind of way. Yeah. I guess you could yeah. say I learned how to read those red flags, you know, for lack mm-hmm. of better words, the warning signs. Um, yeah. I'm able to meet someone now and not read too much into it to take things personally, like not get crazy about it, you know, but just kind of giving people a chance. But instead of being all in, like instead of just putting everything into the relationship right at the beginning, because that's mm-hmm. that that was my thing. Maybe if I just tell this person everything about me, they'll trust me and like me and just like want to be with me. And then later they use it against me. Girl, that, same. Yeah. So <laughs> instead of doing that, obviously I'm trying to connect with people. I'm just not being as not needy, but just as calculated, I guess you could say. I'm just mm. like, I, I, and also I can tell now when someone is trying to not necessarily like use me or get to me, because honestly, most of the time I don't even think it's conscious for most yeah. people, yeah. but I can tell when someone is just like that information and energy grabber, grabber, you know, like you can just, and so you just know, and it's not necessarily like I have to be rude to that person or never talk to them again, but I just keep them at arm's length. You know, I, I'm still very nice to them and, and things like that. I just, it, I never take it to that next level, that word friend that we throw around. But to me, it means yeah. more. I think that that was the hardest thing was thinking I was navigating friendships really well and then not. And it still yeah. happens today. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's still people today that I have clicked with and then we grow apart. You know, yeah. it's always going to be like that. But as I'm older, it gets less painful because it's not as messy. I'm not really putting too much into a friendship. For me yeah. now nowadays at the old age of 35. <laughs> um, <laughs> Please stop. No. <laughs> no. But I, um, I don't want a friendship that's going to take too much effort and energy. Yes. Mm-hmm. If my if I have a friend, like if you called me tomorrow and said, hey, I broke down, I can't get a hold of Luke, you know, um, I, I need you to come get me. I would absolutely get you. That's not the yeah. effort. That's not the effort that I'm talking no, about. No, I know what you mean. That yeah. mental, it's mental, that mental and physical. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if I am finding myself to be too, like, so involved with a relationship that it's taking away from my already healthy relationships that I'm having, that's a red flag. You know, I, like I said, I will be nice, but I don't have a problem letting someone know, hey, like this is too much for me. And and if they can't take that, if I, setting boundaries, you know, that's Mm. a good one to talk about with relationships, right? Back in the day, you know, after I, you know, got sober, stopped doing drugs, things like that, I didn't know how to accept a boundary and I didn't know how to set a boundary. And I think Mm -hmm. it, I think the accepting boundaries was harder for me at first. Um, setting boundaries, it wasn't necessarily that I couldn't. I just didn't know how. Um, and that had a lot to do with my childhood trauma with, you know, my mom and stuff and just having to, there was no boundaries. So. Yeah. No, I feel you. I was the same way. Not in that I didn't know how to set boundaries. Like I was told how to. I just didn't want to. It, I yeah. was scared. Yeah, yeah. I was scared that once I set this boundary, that person isn't going to be in my life anymore. They're not going to yeah. respect it. And then someone told me, you know, that's the point of boundaries. I was yeah, like, oh, exactly. <laughs> so like when, right. And so it's like, I would be scared if I set a boundary, they're going to cancel my insurance on this friendship. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then yeah. I'm just going to be out of a friend. And, but yeah, exactly. Like you're saying, and, and that circles back to what I was saying about having to if I can't tell you that I just really can't be there there because of me mm-hmm. and it's not because my kids say or, you know uh, I don't yeah. know uh, yeah. the dog ate my homework I, you know it just if you can't take that we can't be friends and the oh, boundary the boundary thing is uh that's a tough one because like you said I didn't want to set them because yeah. I was I was scared I would lose somebody 
And now um, I set boundaries and, you know, boundaries are hard to hear. Um, So I I accept that. And I know that if I do set a boundary with someone in my life, it's going to be tough for them to hear it the very first time. But the people who love you and want to be around you, they will circle back around and usually like a day or two and be like, hey, I heard what you said. I sat with it. And like, you're right. You know, um, yeah. You, the good ones, the, not yeah. good ones, because it's not good. You know, the what healthy, I mean, like, the mentally healthy ones. Yeah. The people that are for me. Yeah. Those are the people that really take into account other people's feelings. Um, yeah. No, I I think that this is kind of another tangent that I wanted to go down with you. I when I got sober, I started at ground zero. I had no friends other than my partner. I had alienated everyone else in my life. I had either put distance between them for uh, good reasons or for my own selfish reasons when I was drinking. And I moved around a lot in high school. I went to a lot of different high schools, which I really enjoyed. I was in my active alcoholism at that point. So it let me be whoever I wanted to be as soon as I, you know, embarrassed myself enough in one place, I'd move to another. But with that meant, I I don't have any friends from elementary, middle school, really even high school now, other than Luke, who I met when I was 18. But, you know, he doesn't count. He's my partner. He is my best friend, (laughs) though, which is like we can talk about that as well. A whole nother topic of like actual romantic relationships and authenticity. I think that that, I'm going to have to have you back on to talk about that. (laughs) But for friendships, I... When I first got sober, I kind of was okay being alone because uh, I didn't know who I was and I wasn't able to show up and be authentic or be a friend because I, I didn't even know who I was as a human. But as I moved along and I started trying to make friends, I remember breaking down to Luke a couple of different times because I could not get to a place where I could really connect with someone. I, I thought that I was and then they would, you know, this is my own inner mental monologue oh, well, they'll probably think I'm weird if I text them that, so I should intrusive And your intrusive thoughts. Yes, my intrusive <laughs> thoughts. Like, oh, well, I can't send them that meme because that's just kind of out of the blue, and they'll think that I'm weird or annoying. And I was always so terrified. Like you said, I was trying to buy insurance on that relationship. I was trying to be what I thought they wanted me to be instead of being myself, which, again, I still don't it's know exhausting. who that is. It's exhausting. It's <laughs> exhausting. Working on it. Yeah, exactly. It was a lot of work, and... They were not up to meet me there at that place. They weren't at the same level. I'm lucky now in my sobriety, I've been able to form relationships with people because I am a little bit more comfortable with myself so I can, you know, approach someone out of that frame of mind instead of a, I don't even know who I am, so how do I know who you are? But you have friends that you've had since, what, elementary school, middle school? Yes, I do. I have. So that's one lucky thing that I had was a a base. So we talk about this childhood trauma. Well, when I was growing up, I, I had Two separate families, well, because my parents were split up. and So my friends became my family. Unlike mm. you, I went to one high school the entire time. So I think that that probably helped me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but my two, I would say, main, well, actually, there's three. I have three really best friends that I've known, like, forever. Uh, one of them I've known since I was six years old, um, and she's my, my Jewish friend. <laughs> Because I, like, put them in little category. No. And then I have my atheist friend and then my Christian friend. No. (laughs) No, but really they kind of (laughs) are. No. uh, But basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, out of those three friends, there's not someone that I have known less than 20 years. So, yeah. And, And I think it's just... My friends just became my family. So when I used to get kicked out of the house, I would go stay at their houses. Their parents became my parents. Um, Mm. Actually, when I was probably at rock bottom, I don't remember this conversation, but I also don't think my best friend of 25 years would lie about this. But basically, she sat down and I'm 5'7", and I weighed probably 98 pounds at the time. Like it was, Mm. yeah, yeah, it was bad. And she sat down and she told me, she said, listen, I can't watch you die. So Mm -hmm. until you get help, I can't see you anymore. 
And apparently that did something to me because I think it was like a few months later where I started to kind of get sober and decided to go to Israel and do those things. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't remember the conversation. Again, I don't think she would lie about it. But I mean, that's a really good friend to do that. And the entire time I was the entire time I was in Israel, one of those best friends was pregnant. I didn't even get to meet her baby till I came back. Uh, you know, it was just wild. And they stuck with me. It's not something everyone has. And it's almost a, like you're, it's a foreign concept for you. It's a foreign concept for yeah. me to, to not have that. But also, I don't really have that mother figure. I mean, my, I have my grandmother and my stepmother who, who are mother figures, but just in high school. I yeah. didn't really have that. So so my two best friends that lived in town with me, because one of them lived in High Point, so it was just kind of, you know, I didn't see her as much. Their mothers became my mothers and, and things like that. They still are. I, I can go sit down at their dinner table. I could walk into their houses right now and no one would ask me why I'm there. It's yeah. just, that's just how it is. It's very special. It's not easy to maintain these relationships. I mean, I was going to say, how do you navigate big life changes like getting sober, uh, becoming a mother. Yeah. All of that with friends that you've known for a long time. And you you change as a person and your personality. How do you make sure that you're staying authentic, but also moving with them? And, and I'm sure they're growing and changing as well. Yeah. So I, I would say for the most part, we grow together. I guess kind of what that would look like is Sometimes we're not always together, right? Um, when I came back from Israel, I could not move back to Greensboro. If I would have moved back to Greensboro, all those people that I used to hang around and, and be around, they'd find me. I would just fall back into the same habits as yeah. I was. And so that's why I moved to D.C. was to be away from it because I just wasn't strong enough to even see those people's yeah. faces. And when I was there, I was away from my best friends still. You know, I'd already been away for a year. And then it was like I came back. I stayed in Greensboro for two weeks and then moved to D.C., Bye. So a lot of a lot of our growing came from being long distance, I would say, also. And that was that was difficult to navigate. But that was also back in the day when people used to communicate on each other's walls on Facebook. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because I'll get these memories that pop up and it's like uh, we're Same. talking to each other like we're on AIM, <laughs> like AOL. Yeah. And and I'll send like Mary Claire a screenshot of it because I don't even want to comment on it because I don't want anyone to see it because it's like, such a bad speller. <laughs> I'm like doing all these things and I'm like. And, and she'll be like, hey, I miss my best friend. Like, call me sometime. Because that's when texting cost a lot of money. Yeah. Right? It's like you had to buy minutes to Especially text. Especially if you were in Israel, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just even in D.C. that When I lived in D.C. is when smartphones came out. That's how ancient I am. So, <laughs> so we. Molly. Right. So I had like a Razor phone for the first year I lived there. I mean, I had to buy those text messages. So people used to just communicate on the Facebook wall like it was a text message. But it's just really funny to see because it's cute to see how much, you know, she missed me and things like that. And then we're all, all of us, all my friends are the three friends that I have that are like the staple. We're all at very different points in our life and growth. Um, And and like we've been saying, that doesn't ever stop. So I think Mm -hmm. it really just... You know, there's been times where we've drifted, not completely apart, but just not necessarily disagreeing or being angry, but maybe just having some tough conversations like the one that Mary Claire had with me before I moved to Israel. Yeah. I'm sure I'm, that was really hard for her, you know, and I've had tough conversations with that with them and not necessarily, you know, stop talking to them, but maybe just having to pause, right, is setting that boundary, yeah. letting them know, hey, we're really good friends. So I feel like I can't go on without mentioning this because then I'm going to feel like a really shitty friend. So there has been times that I've had that not just me, but my friends have had to navigate with me as well. And then there's other times where I it's not I don't expect someone to call me and text me every single day. Um, I used to be like that before drugs and things like that. That's that was my personality. I felt like if somebody wasn't calling me back or didn't give me certain attention that I was worthless. They didn't love me or they Mm -hmm. didn't care about me, those things. And it's really surprising because I was like that when I was friends with all three of these people also. So you think they would have been tired of me. But we've actually just kind of grown together. I mean, you know, it's hard for me to say because also, even though there has been times where our relationships have been challenging, 
at the same time, it's very effortless. And I think yeah. that that's another reason why we stay friends because we we always know. I think we're at a point where it's like no matter what we do, at the end of the day, we're all we're still gonna love each other. Yeah, you know? I think that's another tangent too. I had this idea in my head that the people that I was gonna be friends with are interested in the same things as me, in the same stage of life as me. I had this checklist. Kind of like when you're looking for a partner, like, oh, they've got to be this and this and this and this. So you're Jerry Seinfeld, but for yeah. friendships. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that's it. The, that's More the Larry best David. person. Yeah, I, yeah. I would love that comparison, too. Uh, but yeah, no, too. no, it's it really was. It was this made up pedestal that I had for this this human putting all these expectations on this person who had no idea of what they were going to have to live up to because I was the same way I I thought that we had to talk every day I thought that we had to like the same things I or end up having nothing in common and not be a friend but at the end of the day like it really does come back to is this person able to support me as who I am in that moment and am I able to show up and support them as who they are and not just that I I want to that urge to be there for them is there and (laughs) full circle full circle back to that spark I've noticed as I've tried to navigate different friendships the only thing that really matters is me showing up to be the truest version of me that I can be but also be able to allow another person to be human yeah, exactly. So I think that that the hardest part of navigating the relationship is my own reservations, my own my own things um, that I need to say or I need to do or my boundaries. You, you know, it's it, it's not yeah. necess- it's not necessarily other people. It's it's usually my own hangups. I guess you could say. Oh yeah. No, I t- I totally feel you, and I think that one of the best pieces of advice or. Maybe maybe this isn't even advice. This is another like idiom or saying. It's none of your business what other people think of you. Exactly, yeah. Woo, and that has helped me so much. It helped me not just to let go of how other people perceive me, but it also allowed me to act out of who I really wanted to be and not worry about how that is going to be judged by other people. Why does it matter if it's being judged? Like the deeper work that goes into that too and trying to figure out why do I care if these people like me? Right. Well, and that's a, that's another thing is I used to be the master of taking things personally, right? Oh, yeah. Everything. I mean, my family, if they listen to this, they're just going to be like, yep, uh-huh, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> because it's true. It's, it's my personality. Uh, sometimes I think everything is about me and this is, and this is something that I've actually just started to really realize because, um, in February 26th, I'll be three years in remission from breast cancer. Um, Mm, I congrats. Holy moly. Thank you. Thank you. But I wasn't even really supposed to be here. I mean, they didn't know for sure, but my cancer wasn't, it wasn't looking so good. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's amazing that I'm here. Yeah. And I think going through that and almost dying, uh, writing 18 birthday cards for each of your kids so they could open one every year, you know, just in case. Um, yeah. It yeah. it does it does something to you, and when you come out on the other side, you realize. Getting back to our idioms, right? Don't sweat the small stuff, right? Uh huh. You find out it's all small. It's all it's, small stuff. It's yeah. it's all small stuff, and I know that sounds super cliche, but it's so true. It is. Um, I look back at some of the things that I've been petty about or angry about or, you know, those situations that really make me use my energy for no apparent reason whatsoever. And it's not that I'm angry with myself, but I'm just like, God, I don't even know who she is anymore. You know, yeah. I, I yeah. look at pictures of myself before cancer and I'm like it's almost painful to look at because you know it's like who is that you know Mm -hmm. I was so wrapped up in my own self that I literally didn't think I had any work that needed to be done on me yeah yeah oh no I I love what you just said and I think that encapsulates I mean really everything that I want to showcase and talk about in this podcast is 
it is all small stuff and how crazy it is that we let ourselves go down these roads where these small inconveniences become these huge mountains that we make ourselves climb and it's from our own doing and it takes a huge life altering situation to to snap us back to reality and say whoa you know <laughs> well whatever and, we thought was a problem is not a problem well right and and also hindsight is great for that right i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> you like even if you don't have a near death experience which i recommend everyone have um <laughs> um no, but really, I mean, you get that hindsight and you're like, wow, why did I let that person live rent free in my head for that yes. long? Right. Yeah. So one thing that I've learned over the past few years is how to sit with my feelings and be like, you know what? This is OK that this person pissed you off. That's OK to feel that yes. way. Yes. Because it's when you don't recognize those feelings and you let them stack on top of one another and then you explode. Right. So Mm -hmm. if someone says something to me and my first reaction, my knee jerk reaction is to feel defensive and feel like they are personally attacking me. I sit there and it's the hardest five minutes of my life in that moment. I mean, like it is like it's like my whole world is collapsing. And then I just sit there and I say, that's okay." You know, I talk to my inner self. I say, Pepper, it's okay. Feel the feelings, Mm -hmm. because if you if you suppress the feelings, you're just going to keep feeling it even longer. So how I can tell I've made progress is because I would not have been able to sit with those feelings. I mean, I would have taken those feelings of this is personal and ran with it until I self-destructed and ruined every relationship around me. I I totally hear you. And I think that that's the coolest thing for me to watch like outside my own body is when I handle a situation better than I would have, even if it's just better than I would have a week ago. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's such a good feeling. Yeah. That's how I have control, right? Yes. (laughs) You know, to be able to control my feelings and my reaction to situations is where my power is. Yes. So yes. it's an amazing inner accomplishment. It's almost like a game, right? Like when you hit the question mark or, get all, or, or like or, or get all the coins, like when you're playing Mario and, and you're just like, yes, I'm going to find Peach. But like you never get her. But also at the same time, it's still a great feeling in the moment. Yes. That's no, where 100 percent. Yeah. So realizing the things that I cannot change, that is absolutely the biggest part of all of that, right? Is just being able to look at a situation and being like, you know what? I can't control these people. I can't control this situation, but I can control my reaction. And when I'm able to do that, even like you said, better than last week or yesterday or whatever, that's where my power is. That gives me so much self-satisfaction when I can do that you know, staying humble about it, but also it's, it's still learning. Recognizing. Yeah. Recognizing that you have grown a lot. And I think that's a perfect place to pause our conversation because I'm not stopping it. We're going to continue talking, but we'll make it another episode because (laughs) I have so much more I want to talk to you about. (laughs) But I I think that for me as well, the biggest accomplishment that I have, the biggest area where I feel like, wow, I am achieving what I am setting out to achieve every day and be better than the version of me that was here yesterday is when other people notice. And that only comes from deep inner work and recognizing your feelings. And I love what you said. It's been a little while ago now, but it's stuck in my head. Being able to truly sit there with a feeling and not have to act out of it and not have to push it away. No attachment, no aversion, just saying, yes, this is how I'm feeling. That is exactly what I'm feeling at this moment. And that's okay. And it doesn't mean anything. And it doesn't mean I have to do anything. And it's it's so cool. And I love your journey. I love your ability to stay grounded and present, even through all of the hard things that you've gone through, which is what we'll talk about in the next episode. Being able to come back to center and still grow Uh, And still know that you've got an infinite amount of room to be a better human. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I I think that's important because I am not perfect by any means. You know, I talk a good game, but putting it into practice is difficult. I'm right there with you. (laughs) And every day is not 
that easy at all. But that's being human. I think that's where we get our growth from and the whole reason for us talking right now. I think that 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 hits the nail on the head right there is the ability to recognize our shortcomings and know that every day that I get to be alive is another day I can work on that. And that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Pepper. And I can't wait to continue our talk about your cancer journey, being present, breaking the trauma cycle, all of the juicy nuggets that are contained within that. So thank you so much. No, thank you so much for having me. It was fun. It's my first podcast. I hope I did it. Yeah, well, (laughs) same. (laughs) We are in the same boat on this experiment together. But yeah, I look forward to continuing our conversation and talking to you next time. And I hope those of you listening enjoyed making conscious contact with Pepper along with me. I will leave her social media links below. Subscribe so you don't miss when the next episode goes live. And we'll see you on Sunday.